morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm Matt. I am uh, the student ministry director here at Church in the Valley. I, uh, I oversee things that relate to kids, the high school and the junior high school. And it's great to see you. I've been looking forward to um, speaking to you this morning about one of our plays that we run here at Church in the Valley from our, our proven playbook. Um, all sports teams, great sports teams, have a playbook. They have some plays that they work on, and they, they put these plays in key moments so they can win a game. Uh, as Christians, we have a playbook as well. Um, we, we learn how to relate as a church, running some specific plays that help us to be healthy, unified, strong, so that we can all accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. And so uh, as a Christian, you, you actually have a, a new team that you're a part of. Uh, you have a new jersey, you get a new playbook, and you have a new coach. And so the plays that we run here, the plays that we've learned from Jesus, they're not natural. They're not things that you just do on your own. But like I said, when we run these plays together as a group, it makes our church healthy and strong and unified and able to accomplish the mission that Jesus has for us. So in the first two weeks, we looked at the first two plays. The first play is others before me, uh, what we call heart attitude number one, where you put the goals and interests of others above your own. We love each other, we're willing to sacrifice and help each other, that's kindness. And when people around here are kind to you, when they love you, when they serve you, when they help you, that builds trust. And that allows you to do the second play, which is discretion, not deception. Uh, We live open, honest lives before one another here at Church in the Valley. It's very important to God. And so we don't have to hide who we are, because the people around, they love us. They serve us, they care for us. And so over time, as we build trust, we get more and more real about who we are. And that enables us to run the third play, which is what we're looking at today. And that's the feedback loop. We all need feedback, good information in our lives to make smart choices. If you don't have good information, you can't make good decisions and you get hurt. And so when you get on the scale in the morning or you check your cholesterol or you, you know, check your blood pressure, what you're getting is feedback on your physical health so that you can make good choices when it comes to your body. And when you look at your, you know, get in the car, there's something that measures your speed, measures the mileage, the gas, the tire pressure, and that information helps you take care of your automobile. We all need feedback. We all need accurate information so that we can make smart choices. And we need that also in our life. So the question for us and for everybody on this earth trying to put together the best possible life they can is where are you getting feedback on how you're living? Where are you getting information about how to live the very best kind of life? Our culture doesn't teach that. I mean, if you watch television, if you listen to music, really, there's, there's no politics. There's really no one holding up giving and receiving correction and getting input in our lives as a good thing. There's not a lot of models on TV where, like, the main character gets feedback and correction from someone who really loves them. And then they change and they avoid some massive hit in life. That's just not something that we see as Americans. And so we tend to think that life is very simple and that we don't need any feedback and we don't need any correction. But the problem is, is that if you don't get feedback, you're blind. This is a picture of Tom Brady. He's going to be in the Super Bowl this next week. And uh, he's surrounded by some very big guys. Can you imagine if he was blind at that moment? He would get laid out. Feedback is like sight and you need it. And one of the things that God wants us to do is to run this third play, which is to give and receive from one another scriptural correction. 
to take the truth that God has spoken to us and that we're living out in our lives and to share it with one another so that we can help each other avoid really big hits. But like I said, our culture, it's not going to teach us to do this. Our culture is actually a culture teaching us to be blind. They simplify life on television. It's not complicated. And you're a beautiful butterfly and you should just follow your heart and don't let anybody tell you what to do. And if you just try hard enough, you can win. That's the general attitude. It's kind of like you're a running back and you can block every tackle. You can, you know, stiff arm every obstacle. Kind of like this guy right here. Check out these players in the NFL. That's pretty impressive. I mean, those guys are great. But here's the thing. Every one of those guys could see the hit coming. They could see it, right? They weren't blind. And so if you can see it coming, yeah, maybe you can respond to it. But that's not an accurate picture of what it's like to live in this world, to try to make a successful life, to try to team up with people who are different than you and not get so irritated by them that you just want to walk away. I mean, if you want to accomplish something, it's not like that. I mean, the truth is, is that there are hits you can't see coming. And feedback and giving each other uh, input, correction, it protects the people you love from getting hit in such a way that they're not going to get up. This is far more realistic. This is a picture of some of the biggest hits in the NFL. And this is more what it's like to live in this world without feedback. Here it comes up. Here it comes up. Ah, some of those guys aren't getting up. Some of those guys are out for the entire season. And uh, that's what it's like to live in this world because there's a lot of things you don't see. There's a lot of things you can't see coming at you, but other people can. And so it's important as a part of a church, a part of uh, the family of God, that we relate to one another the way that God relates to us. And he loves us, and so he's constantly giving us input, feedback, correction, in line with what's good, right, and true, so that we can avoid some of the biggest hits that are coming at us that we don't see, because we all have blind spots. I'd like to show you a paradigm, a picture that will help you see why we need feedback, why we need correction in our lives. This is uh, something called the Jahari Window. 
I don't know why it's called Jahari. Maybe that's correction in Hebrew. I don't really know if that's the guy who created it. But it's Jahari window, and there are four quadrants, and each quadrant tells us something about ourselves. The first quadrant is uh, the top left quadrant. It's yellow. And those are things that I know about me and you know about me, things that everybody knows about me. And this could be like the hits that you can see coming. But on the, the top right quadrant, it's the unknown things, the things I don't know about myself that you see. So I have blind spots that I don't know about and you all know. And my wife knows and my kids knows and vice versa. And if you don't see things coming at me, if I, I'm sorry, if I don't see things coming at me, they could really hurt me unless you, you say something. Then on the bottom left quadrant, it's the things that I know about me, but you don't know about me. These are things that are secret. And this is why we run play number two, to live in an open, honest life before others. Because if we're keeping secrets and if we're not being real with people because we're afraid of how they're going to respond or we don't want to give up the thing we're into, and what ends up happening is we get hit. And nobody can help. And then there's the bottom right quadrant. That's a very interesting quadrant. Look at that one. Those are things that you don't know about you and I don't know about you. Those are things that only God knows about you. Now, here's the thing. If you want God to tell you about the things that only he sees, about the hits coming your way that only he sees, you first have to respond to the other two quadrants. If you're not willing to let other people speak into your life and say, hey, I see this, this, is, this could really hurt you, you're not going to learn about the things that you don't know about yourself. And if you're not willing to be honest and open about who you are and you're keeping things secret, you're not going to learn about the things that you don't know about yourself, that only God knows. God uses people, he uses mediators to do his work. Not always, sometimes God acts directly, of course, but a lot in the Bible, God will work through people to speak to people. Prophets, um, there was a donkey one time, that was a fun story. God uses all sorts of people to speak to us. And if I respond to my brothers and sisters well, God will show me things that nobody knows and really protect me for some of the biggest hits. We need correction. We need loving, scriptural correction. But nobody likes it. I don't like it. Uh, you don't like it. My, my kids don't like it. And I was thinking this week, why? Like, what's the block that's keeping us from saying yes to play number three? And I think what it is that keeps me and you from being willing to give and receive scriptural correction is fear. And I think it's, I think it's three things. It may be more, uh, but at least these three things are true. It's fear of rejection, it's fear of punishment, and it's, it's fear of loss. These fears are lies, and we think that if we receive correction or if we give correction, we're going to be rejected, we're going to be punished, or we're going to lose. We think we're going to be rejected. Like people are going to find out who we are, what we did, or they're going to say, oh, you know, this is an area of your life that, that, that you need to watch out for, and then they're not going to like us anymore. They're going to think less of us, or maybe God is going to not like us. He's going to be mad at us. And so we push away the correction because we don't want to get rejected. Maybe we have bad experiences in our lives, and all of us have been rejected at some point, so it's very normal to have that reaction. But that's one of the reasons why we're not going to hear the feedback. And we also are Afraid of punishment. We think that if we admit that, yeah, this is an area of my life that needs to get corrected, that maybe I'm going to get in trouble. Or maybe we just really like what we're doing. We're into some sort of sin. We have some sort of destructive pattern, and we don't want to give it up. And if we accept corruption or correction, we got to give it up. We don't want to. That's loss. 
And so I, I was going to show you this larger passage, but we don't really have the time. So I, I want to encourage you to read something. I would encourage you to write down Ephesians 2 in your, in your handout. And I want to encourage you, uh, Christian to Christian, uh, to, to read that this week. It's really encouraging when it deals with these specific fears. Because in Ephesians 2, what God says to us is, one, I loved you when you were my enemy. When you were yet your worst, I was coming towards you. Now you're my son and daughter. How much more do I love you? I'm not going to reject you. If I was going to reject you, I would have rejected you when you were my enemy. Now you're my family. You're trying to love me back. That doesn't make any sense, God says. And that's true. I need to remember that truth. That will help me not fear rejection and reject correction. Number two, in that passage, he also says, the punishment that we deserve for our sins, because we all know that when you do wrong, there's, there's a crime, there's a punishment that, that's deserved. We don't get that punishment. Jesus Christ took that punishment for us. So, yeah, somebody needs to get punished for our sins, but we don't get that punishment. Jesus took that punishment for all of his people, anybody who wants to be a part of his kingdom. And so I don't have to fear punishment because when, when I'm being corrected by God or by someone else in love, they're doing it to help me, not to hurt me. And we, just, we don't believe that. And so if you, if you read that passage and let God speak to you, that he will really help you in your thinking. And then when it comes to loss, one of the things you learn in that passage is that God wants to pour out his kindness on us. He wants to do really good things for us. He's loving and kind. And sometimes we don't have that picture of God. You know, sometimes we don't have that picture of God. But if God's like that, that means whatever thing I give up for him, he can replace with something better. That's a really good thing to remember when we're being tempted to reject and not receive any correction because we don't want to get punished and rejected and lose. So I wanted to just take a second and talk about that because if we can flip those lies to truths in our hearts, then we become free to receive the loving correction that God has for us here and then directly from him. And then as a church, what we do is we build each other up. And this is what God wants his churches to do. All throughout the Bible, uh, God's people are encouraged to encourage each other. This is from Thessalonians. Uh, It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. That church was building each other up, helping all the people in that church uh, to get stronger in their faith, to get healthier, to become more pure, and to be more effective at what God has for them. How do we build each other up? One of the things we have to do is we have to encourage each other forward. We all get down. We get low. We get discouraged. Um, Things go bad in our lives, and we start um, kind of our faith gets weaker. We stop trusting God and obeying God. Things get dark. And at those times, we have to lift each other up and encourage one another. There's no real other way to say it. And I, I've experienced that with many of you, where you've encouraged me at key moments, and I've been able to encourage others. And so writing to a church that was under a tremendous amount of persecution, which means they were really tempted to stop following Jesus. I mean, they were really being persecuted. The writer of Hebrews wrote, and let us consider, let us think about, let's take some time to think about how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We are to be meeting regularly. Like this, we have groups that are starting, and I want to encourage you to join a group. That's probably been one of the most um, meaningful parts of my growth as a Christian, is, is being a part of a group of people who are weekly trying to learn what God says and obey and trust him and help and encourage one another 
it's just been it's just been the best. And if you are uh, considering being in a group, I really want to encourage you to do so. Take a look. We have some great group leaders, and they're on multiple nights. But Christians are always tempted to stop meeting together. And then you get isolated, and then you get ideas in your head that are not true, and then you start to spiral out. I've done it. You've probably done it. But as we get together and encourage one another and spur one another on, our faith is renewed. And we have this kind of hope and uplifting energy to go into the week, and we look at situations not by ourselves, isolated, God's not around, it's all me, it's all my strength, I'm not going to be able to pull this off, there's no hope, which is kind of easy to get into. But we remember how God loved our brothers and our sisters and what God is teaching them, and we know that he'll do the same for us. And we need that each day. We also, as a church, encourage each other as we bear with each other. So you, many of you know me, some of you don't, but many of you do. Some of you have known me a long time. And there are things about me that probably bother you or rub you the wrong way. And it may be the, the you know, vice versa. But we, you know, we don't sweat the small stuff. We cut each other slack. You know, we, we bear with one another. So at the church in Colossae, uh, there were a lot of people who were different, but they were all Christ followers. And Paul tells them, hey, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because, you know, God is forgiving us. We forgive each other. And so if you have this, think about this. I mean, you have play number one. We're loving and serving and helping each other, doing good for one another, right? There's this trust that's built because why is this person being kind to me? Why are they helping me? They just, they love me. And then the drawbridge starts to come down. You start running play number two and you start living an open and honest life and letting people really get to know you. And then what happens is God, he begins to use people to give you scriptural correction and encouragement. It's loving, it's kind, it's done in the appropriate way, which we're going to look at in just a minute. You really begin to start to grow and get traction in parts of your life that you never did before. And in that context of love, you can see how correction makes a lot of sense. And so we do, we correct each other. Correction is all through the Bible. It's, it's one of the characteristics of skilled people, successful people, experts, or what the Bible might call wise people. So Proverbs 25 says, better is an Open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Napoleon used to say, never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. If you see a friend, a loved one who's about to get hit by life, and you stand by and you don't say anything, that's not how a friend treats someone. That's how an enemy treats someone. Hidden love is no value. What good is it to love me privately? I I remember I had a, a relationship in college. It was kind of a toxic relationship. We fought a lot. Anyway, when we broke up, I was all heartbroken, and I'm complaining to one of my friends. And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? And he's like, well, I, you know, he's eating. He's like, I don't know. I just didn't think you'd listen. Well, okay, I probably should have asked. But I really would have appreciated it if he would have just told me because it would have saved me a lot of pain. There was a, a time in my life where I was a manager of a store, I was going to go meet with my boss and tell him how he owed me more money and I need to get a pay raise and it wasn't paying my bills and I'm worth more and I have a college degree and I'm so awesome. I was young and I was going to let him know that I needed to get paid what I was worth. And I happened to see somebody at this church and they corrected me and they said to me, you're being proud. They're taking all the risks. You've never been a manager in your life. You haven't done anything. Your bills are your responsibility. Ah, slap, 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 you know? 
I would say, they said, I would say, thank you for the job. I'm going to work really hard. And if I do a good job in a year, I hope that you guys will give me a raise or a bonus or, you know, reward me. So I sit down with my boss. His name was Caesar. And he's, he's intense. He's really angry. I can't tell why. And I, I go, I say, you know, hey, I'm really grateful for the job and this and that. And he's like, sticks his hand out, shakes my hand really hard. He goes, thank you. Thank you. I just met with three other managers and everybody told me how much they, I owed them and how good they are and how I don't pay them enough. And I was going to fire you if you said that. So correction, uh, it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, you don't always have examples like that, but man, that's, that's a good example of correction. I was spared a lot of pain. And it's easy to, you know, when I say this and you say, you know, scripture says, this is not me. This is what the Bible says. When the Bible says this, it's easy to be like, yeah, but isn't that the pastor's job? I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really confrontational and nobody's talking about confrontation, but you know, you hear that voice. I'm not really confrontational. And, uh, and that's, you know, I, I get it. It, yeah, the pastor, the pastor does do this, right? Titus says, these then are the things, pastors, that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. Pastors, they have a unique place to play. They direct the church. They make sure we stay on track. If they see somebody going off a cliff, they say something too. But it is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, teammates, fellow Christians at the church, to encourage one another and to correct one another. And that's why, writing to the church again at Colossae, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you read the Bible each day, try to apply what God is saying, hear from him, move more and more of your life into a place of trust and obedience. God is speaking to you. Then teach one another and admonish one another with all wisdom. We, we admonish each other. That word means warn. So the idea is I'm spending time with God. He is speaking into my life. I'm trying to trust and obey him. I'm meeting with you regularly on Sundays, in groups, in other places. And I'm sharing with other people what God is saying to me. And they're sharing with me what he's saying to them. And he's speaking to us through what people are sharing. And sometimes people see things in my life that are, are kind of destructive. And then in love, they pull me aside and they say, hey, I would like to bring your attention to something. And I get admonished and encouraged there. And all sorts of hits that I can't even see because they're in my blind spot are being blocked from my life. And our group is getting more unified, trusting, loving which means we're able to accomplish the mission that God has given us. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to do big things for God, whatever he has for us. And division and isolation will keep us from being an effective team. But this specific play keeps us together. And it brings us to the biggest verse, which is, well, to one of the bigger verses when it comes to understanding correction. And that's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. It says, see to it, brothers, that's talking to everybody now, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Whose responsibility is it? Oh, it's my responsibility to see to you. And it's your responsibility to see to me. Not, not all my responsibility, but I do bear some responsibility to you and you to me to encourage each other. Right? But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin makes our hearts hard. It makes it easy for us to get off track. So what we're, what we're talking about here is an atmosphere of love and honesty and warning and encouraging and sometimes correcting one another. So now, how, go down a little bit on the notes, please. Thank you. Uh, how, how, do I, how do I, when do I do this? Who does this? Who can do this? 
And the answer is everyone can. Everybody has a whistle from the youngest child to the senior pastor. If you see something in someone's life that maybe might hurt, might hurt them, you have a whistle. You can say something. In love, you want to do it the appropriate way. And so let's, let's look at that. Um, you may be thinking uh, as, you, as you hear this that this is a little bit extreme. Um, again, we, we tend to think that correction is not something that, that we should do for people because of our, you know, just the, way, the way our culture is wired. But the real question you want to ask is how much pain are you willing to see people go through? And how, how badly do you want to accomplish what God has for us to do? There are benefits to correction. Correction is valuable. Proverbs 6 says, For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. If you, if you had a child that was raised by wolves, right, that's supposedly how the, the founder of Rome was raised, by wolves. I mean, how good of a life are they going to have? Right? Tarzan doesn't have a great life. Which, which superstar in sports or which great musician or Hollywood actor didn't have feedback and coaching? Anybody who has any kind of quality of life has had coaching and feedback and correction. Correction is also the door to understanding and honor. We want, we want honor. We want to do uh, things well. And we, we really do want to understand what we're dealing with. Sometimes you feel just absolutely powerless because you can't figure out what to do in a situation. It's just getting worse and worse. The understanding you need oftentimes will come to you from God through other people. And so in Proverbs 15, it says, he who listens to advice or listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. This is what successful people do. They receive correction. He who ignores discipline despises himself. Correction is also a beautifying gift. Correction makes us more beautiful. Now, I don't mean beautiful in kind of the, the typical way, outward physical appearance. What I mean is God has designed each person uniquely. There are gifts and talents and abilities and attributes that you have that make you unique. And what God wants to do is he wants to enhance and turn those up and sharpen them and brighten them up and cut away the things that are not good. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen a a, a diamond that's not cut, but an uncut diamond looks like a rock, like a rock that you would have in your backyard along the outside. It's just a white stone and it takes a tremendous amount of pressure and cutting to turn it into the diamond that's on your wife's finger. And that's what we're like somewhat. There are, there are qualities that God has put in us that he wants to turn up and enhance and, 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 and magnify so that you can do what he wants you to do and be who he wants you to be. It's, it's all good. But that comes through the cutting and the pressure of correction. It beautifies us. So Proverbs 25 says, Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. It, it amplifies the beauty that God has placed in us. I'd like you to watch a testimony, a short testimony from one of the, our group leaders, Tom Gersheimer. He leads, he's going to be leading a group uh, on Wednesday nights, and you may want to sign up for that group. But he's going to talk about how correction really protected him from making a bad financial decision. Let's go ahead and listen. Hi, my name is Thomas Gersheimer, and my wife Shannon and I have gone to Church in the Valley for 13 years. And this morning I wanted to share um, just about how hard attitude number three, giving and receiving scriptural correction, has been has been really helpful. Um, over the course of our time at CIV, I've I've received correction in uh, in a number of different things, uh, marriage and, and parenting to uh, how to handle responsibility at work or mm-hmm. uh, how to manage our finances and, and just a lot of things in between. Um, and while it sounds kind of scary, um, this idea of, of receiving correction has always been done. Um, in the context of a really loving relationship where people have had my best interests at heart, it's always been really helpful. Um, one story that really comes to mind is when we were pregnant with the triplets, 
we were in a one-bedroom apartment, and we needed to find somewhere bigger to live. And I really had this idea that um, that we needed a house. I mean, at the time, we could not afford one. It wasn't on the table. Um, but I was just very, very set on this idea. And so I got breakfast with a friend and a mentor, and I kind of showed him the numbers, and I said, hey, this is what we need. And he looked at the numbers, and he said, well, where are the diapers at? And I said, oh, I guess I didn't budget for those. And he said, well, what about, like, medical stuff? And uh, and I looked, and I hadn't budgeted for that either. And so even though I was really set on this idea of, of, of a very specific plan, he kind of helped me see that that wasn't reality and pointed me toward a um, – very gently nudged me toward um, toward a different direction that really changed my perspective. Um, and there was a lot of blessing in that. So after this breakfast meeting, drove back to our apartment complex, and there was a two-bedroom apartment that had opened up that morning. And uh, and that's actually what we moved into and what we brought our kids home to. Um, so just very, very grateful for the, the help with that specific situation and uh, the many other situations that we've been helped with as well. It's good advice, protecting them from making a, a rash financial decision. They have a house now, so God, you know, he blessed them. Um, but they, they, they received correction, and God used that. That happens in our lives as well. So, okay, how do, I, how do I do it? How do I give correction? What are some rules or tips for doing it well? Uh, first of all, we have something called the 90-10 rule. And the idea is this is more of an art than it is a science. You get better at this with practice. And you can speak to a leader at our church, you know, team leader, group leader, pastor, staff, if you'd like some advice on how best to do this. But 90-10 is basically for every one specific thing that you're correcting or bringing to their attention, you give them nine pieces of encouragement. And, and the idea is this. When they walk away from the conversation with you, the general feeling they have is you love them, you're for them, you see good in them. And this thing that you brought up, it really could hurt them. And out of your care for them, you, ch- you shared it with them. You don't want them walking away like they've been hammered by you. Like you've taken this opportunity to really let them have it. And so one of the ways that you're protected from doing that is the 90-10 rule. Something else we need to do is we need to speak the truth in love. Our motivation needs to be love. In Ephesians 4.15, writing to that church, Paul, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. If we want to get more like Christ, if we want to grow and transform to be more like Jesus, then we have to speak the truth to each other. But we do it out of love. Love means you want their good. You want what's good for them. And sometimes we get angry and frustrated with somebody, and that's when we want to say something, and that's a bad idea. Because what's motivating us is our own uh, frustrations and selfishness. Uh, you know, bosses, parents who discipline and anger, usually not a good idea. But what you want to do is get to the point where you're really motivated because you care about this person and you want good for them. That's why you're saying it. That's where it has to start. And then how do you get there? Well, one of the things you have to do is you have to pray. You have to talk to God about it. Tell God what you think you see. Ask God to confirm it. One of the ways that I'll do this is say, Lord, if this is really something that they're doing that's destructive, if it's really true, then would you have them do it again? And they will. Or maybe they won't. And that's one of the ways that God can show you if this is something you need to say. Number two is ask God to bring somebody else in their life to correct it. If there's somebody else in their life who would be better to bring this up to them, please Please move that person to do that. I've seen that happen before. And then God will kind of show you, okay, this is what you need to do. So then you want to make sure you're correcting based on scripture. It's not my opinion. It's not my personal taste. It's not some fashionable idea that I got from the culture. It's not some minor thing that I have made a major thing. It's what the Bible says. I, I have I've seen that this is important to God in the scriptures. I know the scripture says this, and that's why I'm bringing it up. It's based on God's word, not on my word. 
And then we want to correct based on a pattern, right? Two times is not a pattern. Three times is a pattern. And so you can ask God to show you if it is a pattern. And when you share with this person, you want to think through your words in advance and you want to be very specific. You want to say, I, I've noticed something that I, I don't know if you're aware of. And I think it may, it could hurt you. And so I'd like to share it with you. And then you get very specific about what you personally experienced or saw. Now, of course, you're doing this in the context of love and encouragement. But that way, the person understands what it is you're saying and what, what they can see what you see. You want to be gracious. But sometimes when you do this, people react. They get angry. They might reject you. And if you really do love them and it's motivated by love, you just have to take the blowback. Because it's not about me and how I feel at the end of the conversation. It's about me helping them and doing good for them. And sometimes people may not respond great. And knowing that beforehand is good. So if you handle it this way, then chances are it's going to go pretty well. And I've had people do this with me. And I've done this with people here at Church in the Valley. And it's, it's been really good. Um, so how do I receive correction? First of all, you need to understand uh, that it's always going to sting when someone says to you, Hey, listen, I love you, man. I really appreciate this and that, but this is something that I've seen, I'm worried about, and I'd like to bring it to your attention. That feels, you know, it doesn't feel good. And so you really have to control your emotional responses. You can get angry, you can get frustrated, you can get cold. Some people, they just get really silent. Their face gets emotionless. They listen, and they say, thanks, and they walk away. And it's just, it's, it's not the right response. So you have to control your emotions, because if you don't, you're going to block the information that you need to correct something that could really harm you. And so Proverbs 29 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. A fool gives full vent to his fear. A fool gives full vent to any destructive emotion. But a wise person, a wise man, keeps himself under control. Number two, don't demand nice treatment. Sometimes we can, we can create these little mini strike zones. Well, if they would just say it this way, at this time, on this day, and if they wouldn't have said it that way, and they said this thing, I didn't like this. And so they, they create all these like limitations to what correction they're going to hear. And only the correction that fits this very narrow box, that's, that's what they'll hear. That's, that's not a good attitude. You're going to miss what God has to say to you. And so our attitude should be like the psalmist in Psalm 141. He writes, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head, and my head will not refuse it. We don't put limits on how people share with us. We hear them, and instead we thank the person for their loyalty and their courage to share it with us. Thank you for sharing this with me. You also want to ask questions. You want to, here's what you've got to do. You, you have got to be able to understand what they're saying to you so well that the person who's bringing it up with you couldn't say it better themselves. Say like, okay, so what I hear you saying is, I'm doing this, and you saw me do that this way. Is that right? And they can, they can correct you. Okay, so I'm, this is what you're saying, and, and you really want to make sure that you're having the same mind so that you see what they see. That's the only way you can determine whether or not it's true. Now, if they're right, great. Admit it, thank them, and change. And if you're not sure that it's really true, then you simply say to them, thank you for sharing this with me. I'm going to pray and ask God to confirm. And then you do that. You say, God, this person shared this with me. I mean, you were there. You heard it. I'm not sure if this is really something that I need to change. Would you please confirm it to me? And God will. And if he does, you change. And if he doesn't, no sweat. And as we do this together, what happens is we grow. All of us think of ourselves as teachable and humble. Correction really provides the reflection. 
The Bible has a word. It's called mocker. And if you're a mocker, there's a lot of promises for you. And they're all bad. They're pain. I don't want to be a mocker. I've been a mocker. And I suffered for it. Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. A wise man is another category in the Bible. And there's a lot of promises for a wise person. And they're all good. I want those. And so when someone corrects me, do I respond with anger and resentment and frustration and bitterness? Or do I respond by listening and appreciation and consideration? Proverbs 12:15 says, the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. We all have blind spots and how you respond to correction really reveals which path you're on. So I hope that today you've been encouraged. You have more conviction about the goodness, the rightness of this play. It's not comfortable. It's not normal in the world, but in God's church, it really makes our lives healthy and strong and unified. So how are you doing on this one? Who can correct you? When's the last time someone gave you loving scriptural correction or you did? We're going to replay now what we've looked at. We've looked at heart attitude number one, which is putting the goals and interests of others above our own. That's our first play. That creates the trust and the love. We looked at heart attitude number two, the second week, which is to live an open, honest life with other people. That allows people to get to know us. And this week we looked at heart attitude number three, which is to give and receive scriptural correction so that God can continue to work in our lives. Next week, we're going to be looking at the fourth play, which is clearing up relationships. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll bring your friends. And if you would take out your connection card with the next steps, I'd like you to consider how you might respond to this message today. A next step you could take is simply to talk to the Lord Jesus and say, is there anything in my life that isn't good that you would like to change? Please show me. And you could also do something that's really scary, and that is you could ask someone close to you if there's an area in your life that they see that you need to work on. From time to time, I'll send out an email asking people for feedback. I recently sent out an evaluation at my school that I work at, asked my students to give me feedback on the first semester, and some of them said things that were not very nice. They didn't say them the nice way. But there's a pattern about something specific that I didn't even realize I was doing that I need to change. And so you may want to ask somebody close to you or a couple people close to you, is there something that I need to be aware of? Or maybe there's something else God said to you. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, I'm grateful for God's word to encourage us to do this. We're going to continue to worship God uh, in our singing.